Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I, uh, I, I, I always get nervous talking about myself. You know, um, I just rather talk about ideas or something else. But anyway, um, I'm glad to be a part of this group and um, and, and helping out in any way that I can. Um, I was uh, brought up uh, in the suburb of Boston, um, one of 11 kids. Um, the house that I grew up in was um, like a perfect environment uh, for a child. And, you know, it's just full of love and happiness and, and everybody got along and um, parents didn't, I mean, they drank probably two or three times a year. Um, <clears throat> And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that uh, the, my family is riddled with alcoholism. Aunts, uncles, grandfathers, um, cousins, my son. Uh, and there are four of us out of the 11 that ended up in AA. And, um, you know, I, I was reading something the other day that, uh, that really made me stop and think about, uh, you know, how, how how life uh, unfolded for, for me and probably for a lot of other people. And, uh, and uh, this quote was, we never had the opportunity to choose our beliefs. We didn't even choose our own name, but we agreed with the information. And, and you know, I, I, that's what happens growing up, you know? I mean, I, I was from, a, you know, um, a, a family that, you know, from Irish ancestors, my, uh, grandparents were born in Ireland, um, and we're Catholic. And you know, I went to nine years of Catholic schools, so there were a lot of things that were um, that I was taught that uh, you know were were truths. And I came to find out later that I didn't uh, believe in those things. And. You know, uh, probably by the time I was in the third grade, I began to question things. And, uh, and, and yet I didn't feel comfortable saying it out loud. You know, um, you, know you, you just, you know, being in a, in a, in a um, Catholic school, being taught by nuns. And by the way, I like the nuns. I know a lot of people have horror stories about them, but I don't. Um, but you couldn't just say, well, geez, I, I, I don't believe in uh, hell or I don't believe in purgatory or, you know, um, you just you, you just couldn't say things like that. And um, so I, I think what happened was I, I ended up um, probably at a, a pretty young age recognizing the fact, um, you know, even though a lot of it was probably subconscious that I was living a contradiction. You know, I had to pretend that I believed all these things. I had to adhere to all these um, beliefs and, and traditions that were being imposed on me, uh, whether I agreed with them or I didn't. And when I turned, um, it was actually the summer between the eighth and the ninth grade. I was 13 years old. Uh, it was the first time I drank to get drunk. And, um, and, and I look back on it today and, you know, just put alcohol in my system and it just did something to me, you know, um, that it didn't do to other people. By the time I was um, a junior in high school, 
uh, I, uh, one night there was a lot of problems and the police were involved. They, they got called to the house because of me. And, um, and anyway, a few nights later, some friends were going to the liquor store and asked me if I wanted anything. And I, I gave them some money to get me something. And um, a friend of mine looked at me and said, after everything that happened the other night, how could you drink? And I just looked at him and I honestly answered him and I said, I don't really know. I just know that I can. You know, I was uh, taken to my first AA meeting when I was 16 years old. I belonged in AA then. And the only thing that I really remember about being at that meeting was that um, I was treated like everybody else, you know? I mean, I was 16 years old and these were all adults, you know? The youngest people there were probably 40 years old. And when you're 16, 40 year old is an old person. <clears throat> and they talked to me like I was one of them, you know? They, they let me smoke cigarettes, you know, um, and, and it was just an odd feeling to be like accepted by adults. And I never forgot that, you know, um, I could go on, you know, for hours about the crazy shit that happened in my life because of alcohol and drinking and, um, and driving cars. You know, I worked on cars for most of my life. I worked for a Jaguar dealership and anybody that knows those cars back in the, you know, the late sixties, early seventies, um, you know, being drunk, driving XKEs all the time and that belonged to somebody else. Sometimes they knew I was driving their cars. Sometimes they didn't. And, um, you know, fortunately nothing really bad ever happened with that. And, um, you know, my, my drinking progressed and, you know, I liked working on cars. It was something that I was fairly good at. I worked on, you know, the auto body part of it. And, the, you know, the worse a car was wrecked when they gave it to me, the better I liked it because it took longer to fix it. Uh, cars don't talk to you. So it was a way to kind of isolate in my own head and, uh, and just get involved in what I was doing. And they didn't care if I came in hungover. Um, as long as I showed up and got the card done on, you know, on schedule, they didn't care what I did. And, you know, I got, uh, uh, by the time I was 20 years old, I was married and had two kids. Um, you know, I was a raging alcoholic. I was divorced by the time I was 23. I got remarried again when I was 27, you know, and had another child. And when I was, um, 29 years old, I, uh, I, I was really uh, trying to not drink. And, and I, I worked, you know, about six miles from where I lived. And I used to try to leave work in the afternoon and make it home without stopping at the liquor store. And I realized after a while, I couldn't do that. I, I um, you know, I, um, as hard as I tried, you know, I, I just finally gave up on it. And one morning, uh, Saturday morning, I woke up and, uh, and I, I, nobody was home, which meant that probably something happened the night before that everybody was pissed off at me. And uh, <clears throat> I, I walked over to the refrigerator, took out a can of beer. It was probably 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. And I walked directly over to the sink and I opened the beer and it dawned on me why I was standing at the sink because there was like a 50-50 chance that I was going to be able to keep this down. And, and I knew that as once I got to keep, you know, even half the beer down, then I would be okay. And, um, you know, 
and I started shaking, you know, in the mornings and, you know, th things were deteriorating pretty bad. And um, through a series of events, I decided that I was going to stop drinking. Um, and, and I did that. And I had stopped before many times. I heard somebody say one time, I can quit drinking anytime I want. I quit drinking three times one day. And, and, and I laughed. And then I looked at that and I said, you know what? I've actually done that. <clears throat> and um, and anytime I stopped drinking, there, there was like this, uh, this background of, uh, or this underlying feeling that it was somehow gonna be okay because I knew that it wasn't permanent. It was a temporary thing to make the, the trouble go away or whatever. But this time I, I really wanted to stop drinking. And, and, um, and I realized actually that I couldn't. And when I did that time decide that I wasn't gonna drink, I didn't know how the hell, I didn't know what was gonna happen. And um, I went into full blown DTs. I was hallucinating. The pains uh, in, in every joint in my body were unbelievable. You know, I closed my eyes and I'd feel like there were bugs crawling all over me. You know, I opened my eyes and the wallpaper was alive. You know, the designs on the wallpaper turned into like crabs. And, um, you know, it, it was just horrible. Um, and it lasted two or three days. And um, I was, you know, fortunately, um, you know, it's a very dangerous thing to do. And, uh, you know, you, you can die from the drone uh, from alcohol like that. And, you know, I look back on it now, and the blessing of that was that um, I was terrified of ever having to go through that again. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't drink or, you know, do anything for about six months. And I didn't go to AA, even though I knew about it. I might have popped into a meeting here or there. And, um, and then I started smoking pot. And, um, and then I, you know, on the weekends. And then I started smoking pot every night. And then I started just smoking this real high test stuff. And I started smoking hash. I started doing lines of Coke. And, you know, three and a half years later, I ended up picking up a drink. I tried to drink, you know, and, and um and I, I just knew it wasn't going to work. And I couldn't find uh, the two people I was looking for that I knew would be happy I was drinking again. And um, so a couple of days later, uh, out of sheer desperation, I went to AA. And, um, and I had this thought in my head, you know, uh, I can't be an alcoholic because I haven't had a drink in three and a half years. Forgetting that the last time I came off of alcohol, I went through the DTs. I can't be a drug addict because the only reason I do drugs is so that I won't drink. And, and somehow that, that shit made sense to me. But I ended up going to AA because I just didn't know what else to do. And when I got there, I ran into somebody who I knew it was a friend of mine's dad. And he was sober for four years at the time. And he just dragged me around with him. And uh, I'll be ever, forever grateful for Frank. And one of the things he did, he got me involved in a um, this like structured type step meeting that it was just a confined group of about 20 people and they stayed together for about six months and went through the steps. And I went through it like I was just um, learning, you know, um, and, and, and I, I wasn't gonna do any of this stuff, I was just gonna learn it. And, and that, was, uh, that was in October, beginning of October, when I uh, signed up for that group, maybe late September. 
but by Thanksgiving, I already did a fourth step and a fifth step. And, uh, you know, and I haven't found it necessary to pick up a drink since, you know, and, and that was in 1983. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, after I, uh, after I got sober, two years after I got sober, um, you know, things in life started to change for me, uh, you know, and I struggled with staying away from a drink. I struggled for several years. Um, and, and I took a job in high school, uh, teaching auto body repair in a high school. And, um, you know, I, I, um, I went back to school and, you know, to, to make a long story short, uh, you know, I was 47 years old when I got my bachelor's degree. I was 50 years old. I got a master's degree. And, and I went back to school um, to get my bachelor's degree because not because I wanted to really learn anything or had these lofty goals. I needed it for my job. You know, they had moved me out of the shop and into the office. And in order to stay in the office, I had to get a degree. I needed the piece of paper. Um, and that's why I went and, and um, you know, everything I needed to know about my job, I learned in AA. I didn't learn um, in, in college. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd much rather talk about recovery than, uh, you know, all the stupid shit that happened and the stupid stuff I did when I was drinking, you know, um, once I got involved in AA and when I, uh, you know, one of the things we did in the vocational school, we had to teach people, um, you know, you, you only had these kids for, you know, in a shop setting for part of their um, school year in, in a, um, for three years. And you can't make somebody an electrician part-time in three years or a plumber or a carpenter or an auto body person, you know. But what you can do is give them the skills that they need to learn how to some trade or whatever it is they choose to learn. So you're really putting them in a frame of mind where they can learn. And, you know, I think that that's what the 12 steps are about. You know, they, they give me uh, the ability to learn how to live life, how to manage life. Um, it, it isn't, you know, it isn't a, a graduate course. It isn't a place where I get a diploma. Um, you know, and, and there was something that I, that I was just reading the other day about, um, and I think it was in Beyond Belief, but it, you know, it said, have I, uh, have I learned new skills or have I just incorporated some new vocabulary? And, and, you know, and that's what I did when I first got into these steps. I incorporated that new vocabulary. You know, um, even first coming around in AA, I knew all those slogans, you know, and people would say, let go and let God, you know. I mean, I would repeat that kind of stuff, even though I didn't really believe it. You know, that wasn't a skill that I had. It was just words that I had, you know, um, because I was just trying to fit in. I was just trying to become what I thought you wanted me to be. And eventually, you know, that, that doesn't work for me. You know, I may be able to fake things for a while, but um, that, that just doesn't work for me. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> when I got to AA, uh, and this is kind of the way I look at it today, I had an answer to everything. I don't care what it was, you know, any kind of problem in life or, or what it was, I could always come up with some kind of an answer 
for some kind of a rationalization to blame it on you or to blame it on something or somebody um, rather than look at my own behavior. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't really have any questions, you know, and, and now that I've been sober for a while, um, I feel like I, I don't have a whole lot of answers. You know, I have solutions to things that happen in my life. I know how to not pick up a drink, um, but I have a million questions. You know, I would much rather live in the questions than, than to live in the answers. You know, um, I like learning new things. I like reading things. Um, and if I feel like I have a definitive answer to something, I can't learn anymore. You know, I've reached the limit of, of where I'm going to go with something. And, and I don't think there is any limit. You know, um, <clears throat> it's, it's um, something that I was actually just reading this morning and said, you know, the price of anything is the amount of life that you exchange for it. You know, and, and I look at the amount of my life that I exchanged for alcohol. You know, the price that I paid for living that way, you know, and, and any time that I um, that I live something that isn't real to me, that isn't part of my truth, you know, I, I'm exchanging a part of my life for that, you know, and, and that price is too high. And that's how I ended up in, you know, these um, free thinkers meetings um, is because. I realized that I was doing that, you know, I was exchanging my life, uh, you know, a lot of it, a big part of it for what, what I thought I was supposed to believe, you know, I tried like hell to, to believe in this, uh, you know, the, uh, the whole religious part of the world. And, uh, and I didn't believe it, you know, and, and I knew I didn't believe it, but somehow um, I, I just couldn't let it go. Uh, you know, I, um, today, uh, I just try to be true to who I am, you know, um, and, and I live by these different quotes and these different, um, you know, lyrics in a song, you know, um, that, that just hit a trigger for me. And somebody mentioned one the other day about, um, you know, from a Beatles song that um, living is easy with my eyes closed, misunderstanding everything I see. And, and that's how it was most of the time. My eyes were closed. Um, I was just listening to what it was that, that you were telling me that, that you know, that, that I was supposed to believe, you know, rather than open my eyes and, and look at who I was and, and what my truth was, what my belief is. You know, I, I think that that's what those 12 steps were really designed for, was for me to figure out what my truth is, not yours not somebody else's, you know, um, if, if anything I have to say resonates with you, then, then I think you should pay attention to it. If it doesn't, then I think you should just ignore it. Um, you know, and, and, and that's what I try to do. I, I listen to people. I, I try to expand, um, the, the things that, um, that enhance my life, you know, um, I have a, an, an amazing life. You know, the, the past couple of weeks have been difficult. You know, I, I run into this like uh, depression type thing that I'm just not used to dealing with. It's just not typical for me, you know. Um, 
and and I think it's just an accumulation of this crazy world that we live in right now. You know, um, you know when I when I was a kid, it, it was something I was thinking about the other day. Of course, coming to a you know a, a, a meeting that's based in Ireland. Um, when I was a kid, everybody that I knew, you know, had some kind of Irish heritage. You know, whether it was direct, the parents came from Ireland, or you know, like me, the grandparents did. And and if somebody asked you you know, who you were, you, you, well, you know, what nationality you were, you were Irish, you know, and, and my dad used to say that, you know, he said, I was born in this country, you were born in this country, you're an American, you're not Irish. And, uh, and there was, uh, you know, a lot of truth to that. But I always had this, um, you know, this underlying feeling like it was, uh, like it was better to be Irish. I don't know why. And, um, and today, you know, when I look at the world, um, you know, like it, it's almost like I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm an American. You know, I think this country has just gone to shit. I would much rather pretend I'm Irish, um, you know, but reality is what it is. You know, I'm an American. I live in the United States, really not by choice. I prefer to live someplace else. But you know, this is where I am and this is what I'm doing. And, and I need to make the best of it that I can. I need to live the best of my truth, whatever that may be, where I am today. You know, I, I, if, I, if I dwell on the past, if I live too much in the past, then I'm exchanging too much of my life for that. You know, uh, you know I, I'm not willing to pay that price anymore. Life is too valuable, you know. Um, the just because I stay sober, um, you know, means that I that I have the, a chance at, at, a, at um, you know, some kind of happiness or joy or serenity or peace in my life today. You know, um, there was another quote that I liked about um, enlightenment, and I forget exactly what it is, but it was like, you know, you don't really become enlightened. You just become a little less, a little less self-deluded. And, and that's how I feel most of the time. I'm as, not as delusional as I used to be, um, but I'm not enlightened. And I don't, I hope I never think that I am um, because it's a process and I enjoy the process. I like living in it. I literally believe that statement that life is a journey, not a destination. I'm not looking for a destination. I'm not looking to get someplace. And I'm just looking to stay on that journey to keep walking. One of the things I love doing is hiking Mount Washington, and it takes about four hours to hike from the bottom to the top. And um, and it isn't, you know, when I get to the top, wow. I mean, it's it's nice when I get to the top. I love being there, but it was, uh, it's, I could take a car. There's a road you can drive up there, but it's completely different if you walk it, if you take the journey. You know, the journey is a whole lot different when I do it on my own rather than let somebody else try to do it for me. And um, I want to thank Mark for asking me to speak. I never know how to end anything, uh, probably because I like being on journeys. So I think I've used up enough time. Um, thanks for letting me share.